The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Barnes. It's October and it's UK Black History Month and you're about to hear me in conversation with some of my black colleagues here at The Athletic and we're going to be talking about taking the knee. What purpose has taking the knee served? What, if anything, has changed? Should it continue? And why does it make some people so angry? This is The Athletic Football Podcast. Look at this. A powerful image to show football's social conscience. This is a demonstration of the injustices or um, inequalities that different cultures and races within football I think is so powerful and this is something that we shouldn't let go um, or, or stop without thinking why or, or thinking really deeply as to why we're stopping. We're kind of being used as puppets kind of thing in my, in my eyes. We've got the tops and we've got the kneeling and nothing's changing. It's becoming like something that we, we just do now, you know? That's not enough for me. I'm not going to take the knee. I'm not going to wear Black Lives Matter on the back of my... Because it feels like it's a target. We're isolating ourselves. We're trying to say we're equal, but we're isolating ourselves with these things that are not even working anyway. Sometimes change takes years. And if we're not prepared to continue to take the knee, knowing that this is probably the best chance we've got of keeping the conversation relevant and keeping the doors slightly ajar that we can then open them to have these difficult conversations. Then really, what chance have we got at creating lasting change for the, the kind of generations to come? I feel like taking the knee is degrading stuff because like growing up, my parents just let me know that I should be proud to be black no matter what. And I just feel like we should just stand tall. Joining me to discuss this are two of The Athletic's writers. We've got Carl Anker, our Manchester United writer. Hello. And Rashane Thomas, who's probably better known as our West Ham United writer. Morning, Dan. Carl, I'm going to start with you. When Taking the Knee started, it was a strange time. It was a, a gesture that was uh, popularised round about the uh, right in the midst of the COVID COVID nineteen pan- pandemic. Tell me about what it was like when and how how it felt when that gesture became something that we saw at football games. It was momentous. It's worth repeating. This is a gesture that came from the players. So the 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 captains meeting came about, uh, and Troy Deeney in conversation with Dweds Morgan, in conversation with Jordan Henderson and others, all believed they needed to do something in response to the unlawful killing of George Floyd in the United States uh, and a response to the consistent systematic racism and police brutality that affects black people. And they came to the decision to take one knee before a football game. I think it regardless of how you feel about the knee, I think it's the longest running anti-discrimination sentiment gesture that we've seen in the Premier League in terms of we had a year, 18 months, uh, every single England game, Premier League game, also down the league where every single player or close to every single player took a knee in what should have been the belief that (laughs) Black Lives Matter and that uh, police brutality upon black people and uh, state violence upon black people is unacceptable. At the time, as you mentioned, it was during COVID. So let's say I bumped into a West Ham fan. Don't ask me, like, I don't get risk taking any stuff. And my response then would be, 
I know you're following football, but if you look at sports, athletes have been taking a knee or some sort of piece of protest to highlight police brutality and racial equality, as I mentioned. So, for example, in the NFL, former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick taking a knee to highlight issues your national anthem in 2016. There's been stuff of this nature to draw attention. So I thought, you know what, good in the Premier League. I know there's following suit and taking a knee. My only concerns at the time was, you know, white people who weren't particularly keen on the idea or didn't know the education behind it or thinking this is a waste of my time while you're taking a knee. So that's the only concerns I had at the time. But in terms of taking a knee itself, I thought momentous. Rashane, I want to go back to you on that because it's important to notice that or to note that this is this is a societal issue. This is about things that are bigger than sport. But through the prism that we view it, you know, this we got to view and you guys particularly got to firsthand view what it's like to see football's response to this and to see how this issue was dealt with by, by, by sport. So to see something like this and to see so many teams and players, you know, incorporate this gesture and try and sh- sort of show a level of solidarity towards trying to stamp out racial discrimination. I mean, what was it like to see that? Because I just don't think we've seen anything on this scale before, right? With me and Carl being one of the few black journalists of press boxes, I was phoning Carl asking, you know, what's your thoughts on this, bro? Do you feel like this should happen? Do you think that should happen? So we're having regular dialogue in terms of what's going on as well, because for us being young reporters, this is something new for us in terms of what we're seeing on the playing field. And with us being one of the few black journalists in the press box, well, in my experience, I'm not sure Carl's the same, but I had white journalists coming to me and asking, do you think this is the right thing? So that also showed the impact of what was happening on the pitch. I also agree with Rashani that I had much more senior people in the world of football ask for me my opinion on on the, taking the knee. It made me happy and sad. It, it was good that people who have been in football journalism and football media for as long as I've been alive were going, I am not the expert. Carl, I'm going to ask you to take the lead here. Or Rashani, I'm going to ask you to take the lead here. That made me happy. It also made me quite concerned that I was seeing people in their 40s and their 50s who've been in football media and in sports media for 35 years going, what is going on about black people being discriminated? Uh, And it was one of those real sort of, how do you not know this? How do you not have a stronger grasp of how systematic racism can affect black people in sports? I was once speaking to a very, very knowledgeable football person we basically came to an agreement that at a certain level, not understanding how racism works makes you bad at your job. All right? And I think when people say, why do we need to do this in a sporting sense? There's a there's an old quote that often gets misattributed to Abraham Lincoln, which is essentially people are a lot more protective of their interests than they often are of their rights. And at a time of the pandemic where there was no cinema trips, very little outside socialising, but football was on, it was very important to do a gesture like that um, because for a lot of people, football was their escape or their release or their one thing outside of work. And I can, I can understand that if you were not thinking too much about police brutality and systematic racism affecting black people, you might be a bit annoyed that you're one or three hours in your weekend where you're not thinking about the stresses of the world. Someone's making a very overt, here are the stresses of the world and how they affect black people would you like to help? But also I think the fact that we did that over and over and over and over and over again in what most people consider their recreational playtime going, I know it's your playtime, but for two or three minutes, can we have a moment to just think about how systematic racism affects black people? That was really powerful. 
one of the more consistent criticisms of taking the knee from people who I do not agree with politically is that it's a meaningless gesture. It's forcing politics down our throat. And to that I say, it was never meant to be a meaningless gesture. It was meant to be a very powerful gesture. And unfortunately, due, due no fault of its own, but taking the knee became quite muddled and quite difficult. There were repeated instances where I was watching football games on television on, on UK broadcasters and I'm listening to commentators saying, here are players taking the knee in their stand against racism in all forms. I'm going, no, 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 no. Explain specifically why this gesture came about. Police brutality against black people, racial inequality, systematic racism, not racism on an individual scale, but it does occur on an individual scale and that is often what people are most adept at understanding. But we, the reason why people were so shocked in 2020, the reason why people felt the need to do something, the reason why I mean, even the misguided attempts to, to post black squares on Instagram, uh, the reason why those things occurred was because it became very, very clear that systematic racism and violence was occurring towards black people and we believe enough was enough a great point you make and for me right i mentioned earlier and the first time i was really outraged by it was uh, i was watching Mill. i forgot who we were facing right and the players took one knee as you mentioned and i was booze loud booze and there was one black player and i started laughing forgive me if i'm wrong i think his name's mario or mary or something of that nature Man, felt, yeah that's the one and i felt so i felt so sorry for him i'm like hey you are right being one of the few black players in the starting lineup, and they have that to deal with. I don't know about you, Rashane, but it is. There have been instances where I've been in a in a, I'd say, packed stadium, a slightly full stadium due to COVID restrictions, and eventually a packed stadium, and players took the knee, and I heard people boo, and it is one of the most soul-crushing experiences I've ever experienced in a football ground. Let's be really clear: people are saying Black Lives Matter, and some people go, mm, "Not sure about that." Do you mind if I play devil's advocate? People are saying Black Lives Matter, please treat me as a human being. And there are other people out there who go, mm, could you not? So mortifying. We've seen this three or four times in the 18 months since taking the app uh, first occurred. And there's a, a number of black football players who were talking about this. And you'd see critics say, oh, well, you're a millionaire. Oh, but what do you know about this? Oh, but you're insulated. You're... you're what do you know about the trials of the inner city black person? And again, the quote, the, the, the response is, this is about systematic racism and brutality and violence that affects all black people. Rashane, myself and Dan here at The Athletic, we're black journalists, we're here full time. We are some of the very few full time journalists working in the United Kingdom who are black. And when you consider that the Premier League is 30% non-white, Again, at a certain point, you're bad at your job if you don't have enough black journalists. At a certain point, you have to understand, even if you are the most, uh, <clears throat> how do I say this, craven capitalist that is only concerned about business and numbers instead of people, at a certain point, you must go, hmm, there's an awful lot of black people in the Premier League. I should probably get someone in who could talk to them or understand what they do in their spare time. And uh, yeah, that sentence is pretty horrible and disgusting because I'm pretending to be a craven corporate capitalist, but it's mind-boggling. Fans being allowed back into the Millwall ground and booing what whatever they were booing, whether it was the political side of it, whether it was taking the knee, 
it makes people talk about it again. The polar opposite of respecting it, mate, is booing it. I'm afraid it couldn't be a, a, a bigger U-turn or a, or a more violent opposition to respect than the idea of booing something. I just don't support, you know, people participating in, you know, that type of gesture, gesture politics to a certain extent as well. I would say personally it's more of a social movement that is fighting equality and racial injustice. We've got a long way to go. Whilst we spoke about the impact of, of the knee, I think it is very important to talk about the reaction to it, which is we've we've mentioned a lot there previously about the negative reactions and how it's made football crowds and, and different people feel. Um, some of the maybe more high profile examples, um, if we think back to the Euro 2020 final and the racist abuse suffered by the players that missed penalties in the shootout in the final, the England players, obviously Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho and Bukayo Saka, you know, that brought... <laughs> Brought, brought sort of a, an issue to the to the forefront in the fact that in advance of the competition, the Home Secretary at the time, Priti Patel, said that she did not support people participating in that type of gesture politics. Um, and then when she tweeted uh, saying that she was disgusted that England players who gave so much for their country were subjected to vile racist abuse on social media, she was rebuked by a member of the England's Euro 2020 squad, Tyra Mings, who said, you don't get to stoke the fire at the beginning of the tournament by labelling our anti-racism message as gesture politics and then be pretend to be disgusted when the very thing that we're campaigning against happens. But, so we're, we're all about reactions, but I think what's important to, to mention in this is when you have something that is done widely as a gesture in this sense, you know, we shouldn't assume that all black people feel the same way about it. One of the most prominent examples we also saw was Wilfred Zaha. When he was speaking in 2021 at a virtual Financial Times Business of Football Summit, he said, what we're doing is we're forgetting the meaning behind it. It's becoming something that we just do now. So how did it feel, Rashane, sort of, you know, as we go on, when you sort of see people kind of arguing, A, you know, people's different different sort of different reactions to taking the knee but also did it feel like it lost its power when fans were allowed back one of the first games back i heard small section of west ham fans boo and i thought bloody hell like the counter on the pitch you've got angelo bonner black player who plays for west ham you've got paul nevin mix rays who's part of the coaching staff so you're booing what you don't you don't care about how they feel about you know, taking a knee, you could be that ignorant. So in terms of it, it losing its purpose, I can see why the half example said taking knees degrading because over time, right, if you're a black person and you're constantly getting down on one knee, you know, it's almost like to be asking for forgiveness. That's how it feels if you get down on one knee, you're a black person, you're asking for forgiveness. So I could definitely understand why he was against taking a knee. And you know what? I actually thought, credit to you, because you see in times like this, right, where players are sort of told to, you know, keep quiet, don't say anything, don't want to ruin your brand, don't want to prevent sponsorships from happening. And for someone like Zaha to say, you know, forget all of that. I'd rather speak about these matters, right, and have more of an impact than staying quiet. So as you mentioned, Dan, with Tyrone Mings calling out Pretty Patel. It's also the fact that afterwards, as Tyrone Mings called out, if you're not down with us when things are bad, don't be with me when things are good. What are you doing? If we believe the knee has lost its power, that is not the fault of taking the knee over and over and over and over again. That is the fault of people in positions of power who had the opportunity to do something with that momentum and chose to do nothing. I'm recording this podcast right now and I'm wearing smart trousers and a grey jumper. I very rarely go outside wearing tracksuit bottoms. Growing up in the 90s, I was very aware of Stephen Lawrence. I was very aware of 
the many, many reports of the institutional racism revealed in the Met due to the great work of Doreen Lawrence. And my mum was terrified, absolutely terrified of what I, what might happen to me as a young black boy walking around London uh, and was very much going, you will not be allowed, you know, if the world is going to be incredibly harsh for you and have very little margin for error for you based on certain things, I'm going to make sure you're not allowed to do those things. There are certain things I do not know and certain things I do not do and certain things I cannot enjoy because... I am essentially terrified of what the police might do. And that is not a good way to live. Let me tell you that. And the knee is supposed to be a reminder of that. I can understand why Wilfred Zaha stopped doing it. I can also understand why Ivan Tony stopped doing it. At a certain point, it can be very, very exhausting to appeal to the conscious of someone else saying, could you please see me as a human being? There have been two or three times in my pre professional and my personal life, where I've just gone, you know what? I'm not doing this with you anymore because I'm sick and tired of having to explain to you I am black. So if those players and other players who are black have decided, I don't want to do this anymore because of this, absolutely fine. My frustration is when someone like Marcus Alonso comes along and says, I'm going to stop taking the knee, but I'm going to point to the respect sign on my shirt because I think I've changed this gesture because I think the first one's lost a bit of power. No, and then he says, I haven't spoken to my black teammates. The fact that Marcus was able to say that without having spoken to his black teammates shows to me something went wrong at Chelsea when they were explaining what the knee was to all of the players. The, the point of trying to take a stand or trying to take a knee against systematic racism, discrimination, and police brutality. It felt to me like it was meant as a kind of protest. And the way that football incorporated this was, it kind of felt like it was just packaged into part of the match day experience. People had eyes on it, but it almost became part of the, part of the dressing, part of the pre-match pomp. Now, in uh, October 2022, the Premier League particularly have players have stopped taking the knee before every game. There was a Premier League statement in August that said, the players have decided to use specific moments during the upcoming campaign to take the knee, to amplify the message that racism has no place in football or society. They will take the knee during the opening uh, round of the season, which they did, and there will be dedicated no room for racism match rounds in October and March. Boxing Day fixtures, and also after the FIFA World Cup in Qatar, players are still choosing to take the knee in the Women's Super League. So there's kind of a difference there, but... Obviously, the Premier League is the global football product that everybody sees. For players to stop taking the lead before every game, are we, are we now basically admitting that it's run its course? Football and the football media, including us, have we, have we lost interest in taking the knee? That's a heck of a question, isn't it? Have we lost interest in stopping the systemic racism that affects black people? <sighs> um, that's a weary side because the answer is probably. Um, the next question should be, whose fault is that? Why is that? And again, I bring it back to the people that have platforms to properly explain what we were talking about. I've listened to football clubs who believe mandatory ID verification is the best way to combat social media, online social media racist abuse, which is just not true. It's mind-boggling that we're, we're still barking up this tree. I've listened to very well-meaning people in the executive level of football constantly say, uh, it's about education and people who are racist are unintelligent. Education is not inoculation against bigotry. 
there are moments where it is as plain as obvious as a football fan throwing a banana at someone, as we've just seen in Brazil versus Tunisia. There are very clear racist moments, as we saw when, uh, <clears throat> I'm not even going to say his name. He doesn't deserve me saying his name. When a Burnley person, he's not a football fan, decided to go through the very boring, wicked work to get someone to fly a plane of saying white lives matter, right? The person who did that is clever. And I don't mean that as an as a compliment. I mean that as a, there are educated racists. There are very smart, very talented people living around the world today who have been educated and just believe black people aren't important. What do you do there? That is my question to the FA. That is my question to the Premier League. What are you doing about that? You know, that's a question I want to ask you, Rache. And I mean, ultimately, it's not, it's not up to... It shouldn't be up to footballers to solve racism. How do you think we move forward, uh, Rashane? Like this is, you know, we're not, we're not going to see taking the knee regularly anymore unless we go to WSL games. You know what, right? I listened to um, Callum Wilson, the Newcastle forward, that is, and Mikel Antonio, the West Ham striker. We have a podcast. And in August, Callum Wilson said, you know what, I don't think we should take the knee. It's losing its impact. impact. But in terms of something interesting, he said we should take the knee, but it should be before big games. Before big games... And I thought we should continue to do it because we need to educate the younger audience. When we have Troy Deeney right now, who says stuff like, you know, our teachers don't know how to teach black history. I'm 28 now. I would have been 22 at the time. And I was doing different sports. So I went to an athletics event, right? I went to collect my media pass, similar to what Carl touched on earlier. And the first thing this woman said to me was, we don't get faces like you around here. That's the first thing she said to me. Oh, I've never met this woman in my life. I don't even know your favourite colour. I haven't got a clue what your name is. And that's the first thing you're saying to me, right? So that's one example. Again, my first day at secondary school, I'm bearing in mind for context, right? In terms of education, my classroom predominantly been a black classroom. So at uni, I was in a class of 30. There's only two black black students, me being one of them. So we're going around doing a Q&A. Who are you from? What your name is? This young woman asks me, have I been to prison? That's the first question she asks me, have I been to prison? So even now, like present moment in time, I'll go to a, a ground, let's say Southampton, I had to pick up my press pass, but they're telling me to go onto the stands because I'm in the wrong area. You know, stuff like that. It's what we're going through. So this is why we have talking points like this to bring attention to this to listeners who are not aware of what we're going through as to why we could we should continue to talk about taking any, you know, the racial inequality and what have you, because as far as I'm concerned, racism will, will ever be a thing in this country. When Saka missed that penalty against Italy, right? Me as a black person, I didn't think, oh, no, England lost. I thought he's going to get a shitload of racial abuse now. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And that's sad. That is so sad for me as a black person to, to feel that way about Saka. And what happened? It wasn't just him. It was Rashford. It was also Sancho. So as, but in terms of what we should do, we've got to keep having these talking points, keep not forcing it to people's faces, but keep making sure they're aware of what's going on and why they're taking me and what other stuff is so important. If you are going to make something a gesture, it needs to be important and ubiquitous and constant and you need to constantly explain what's going on. So if we are doing what we're currently doing where players will take the only in big games, the explanation as to why players do that needs to be better. I need commentators to properly explain this is a protest against systematic brutality and racism and inequality against black people. Not we are all standing against racism. Explain it properly. Get a black person to explain it. I want... Not necessarily a footballing person, but an anti-racist who knows the politics and the numbers to explain it. I think a lot of very well-meaning conversations about racism and anti-racism 
often come about where you've got a very well-meaning person who has some power, be it cap, you know, money or influence, will talk to someone that perhaps has experienced racism in a, on an individual scale, and they will go, how would you like me to address systematic racism in the United Kingdom? Why is Justin Cliver, a very nice, well-meaning 20-year-old, being asked to solve the very, very large, insidious problem of online social media abuse? He went, I don't know. Maybe we should do this. He's 20. He's never worked at a tech company, but he's being asked to do this because he has personal experience of individual racism. Uh, and this is the, the problem we have is you've got some well-meaning people talking to some other well-meaning people trying to take on trying to take on individual case studies when we should be talking about structures we should also talk about restorative justice to people that have committed racial crimes while i uh, understand it's very useful to ban people for life for doing certain racist activities it's also quite useful to go hey why did you do that and let's explain what you did is deeply damaging to several thousand people we're going to give you the opportunity to show some contrition not publicly but it's a very frustrating time to be a black sports journalist it's a very frustrating time to be a black sports fan the premier league is going to come back this weekend and someone's going to get a penalty if a black person misses a penalty this weekend, I'm going to be nervous in the same way Rashane is nervous. Right, in terms of what happens next, I don't want to see no more stupid black squares. I don't want to see no more social media blackouts because that really pissed me off, right? So that social media blackout was supposed to last three days. It made no sense. I don't remember it clear as day, right? For me, it was Burnley against West Ham. People ask me, you could do the, the uh, blackout. I'm like, no, no chance am I doing that rubbish. It's, it makes it has no impact whatsoever. So if you're going to come up with solutions, right? Black squares, the blackout. Nope, I'm not for it. Not for it. It's the thing of you can you can do the black square. You also have to do something on top of that. You can do the social media blackout, but you also need to do something on top of that. I saw a lot of companies, a lot of companies, and a lot of very well-meaning people saying, "You're right. We need to do something in terms of Black Lives Matter." So we are now going to do X. A year later, a year and a half later, I'm going. Did you do it? And the question and the answer very often is no. We didn't because budgets got trimmed because of COVID or because things got in the way or because the person in charge who wanted to do that actually left the company. This is a very difficult time in terms of governance. And I mean governance in the small g, not just parliament, but in terms of how any company works because we've just had two or three years where money's been flying out the wazoo and whatnot. But also I can't keep having conversations with people saying, we tried doing that, we did it once and then we realised people didn't keep coming. And it's just, if you, if you are truly serious about anti-racism you will keep doing this i've had a lot of very well-meaning people say yeah we've committed to anti we've committed to um unconscious bias training at work and it was one meeting i'm going buddy you need more than one meeting to undo unconscious bias i saw a lot of black people get hired on a freelance basis in september 2020 because companies went oh wow we need a black person to talk about black lives matter oh wow we need a black person to talk about racism in football i saw a lot of very talented black sports writers work on a freelance basis. I've also not seen them hired on a full-time basis. That's what needs to happen. You can do a black square. You can't only do a black square because then, then it becomes meaningless gesture politics. Uh, right now, as we're talking, the, the English FA have said, as you know, the England national team are going to Qatar, they're going to be wearing a symbol on uh, Harry Kane's armband, the One Love badge. And it's 
okay, fine. That's, that's a symbol you're going to do. What are you going to do next? The knee was good because we had that backup and education for a little bit. And then for a number of reasons, we stopped. And for a number of reasons, bad faith merchants and some very boring, monstrous people decided to flood the market with disinformation about how it's cultural Marxism, which is a, a racist, horrible dog whistle, or about how certain B BLM people do certain activities that, again, is completely unverified. We talk about respect a lot in the United Kingdom, in the Western world, about how it's very important for, for, for things to work as a society. Uh, and there's a very good thread and meme going around that says there's two types of respect. There's respect as an authority and there's respect as a person. Black Lives Matter and taking a knee was black people saying, could you please respect me as a person? Could you please see me as all of a human being? And critics of the knee, bad faith merchants, anti-anti-racists, you can figure that one out, said, well, if you aren't going to respect me as an authority, I'm not going to respect you as a person. And that's why they booed. And that is incredibly disheartening. We are speaking as part of UK Black History Month. I think it's important to say that black history is not all about trauma. It's about celebrating black people and celebrating their culture and their history. But unfortunately, trauma does become a big part of it. Um, the battle against systemic racism, even of the last few years, is, an, is, is a big part of it. So I think it's probably important that we keep talking about these things. Whereas Football Mace has seemed to moved on from taking the knee to a certain degree, I think it's probably important that we do keep talking about this. I mean, football can be full of gestures. Carl already has mentioned the One Love captain's armband that uh, certain international captains are going to be wearing uh, in the lead up to the World Cup and during the tournament. And and the way that, for example, you know, it has, it kind of hints at being against racism. It hints at being, you know, being in, in sort of against discrimination of LGBT uh, plus people or female female fans, uh, you know, without really tackling the issue head on. I mean, Rashane, is it obviously important that we keep talking about this? And is it important that we just keep talking about these kind of issues so that decision makers in sport and beyond hear why people feel so passionately about these things and why they should actually try and make a meaningful change? Well, certainly you have to keep talking about it and obviously talk, keep talking about it with passion, of course. My only concern in response to this question about people in these hierarchy roles are predominantly white middle-class men who perhaps, you know, aren't aware of what's going on. So let's say, for example, us doing this podcast right now, it's great because we've got a number of black staff in the newsroom, so we're able to inform our bosses of the importance of having these conversations. But let's say at the FA, how many how many black people are there to, to highlight, you know, what happens after in terms of highlighting these issues? And for example, like the Qatar World Cup, I don't know about the World Bank, but have we seen Qatar in terms of their rights and how they view same-sex marriage? We need to have more, you know, black places, ethnic minorities, so they can have, they can help influence the uh, decision making. For example, right, me being 28, I have never in my life, I'm not sure, Carl, you feel the same time, but I have never in my life, right, encountered one black press officer. Never in my life have I encountered one black press officer. The day I encounter one black press officer, I'll, I'll probably start doing star jump. I'm going to ask the listener a question here. When you watch football and television, when was the last time you saw a black person talk about football and television that wasn't a former professional football player? 
when was the last time there was a black person on your television screen going, I'm going to talk about football. That wasn't, Shane is correct in talking about decision makers and who's in those rooms that make decisions. Um, and, and there are times where I, I read certain things and I go, there's no black person in the room when that decision was made. You can almost tell. You can you can hear it sometimes. Uh, and that feels slightly odd to say. As we're talking right now, we are three or four full-time black journalists in the United Kingdom. And that's rare. But we shouldn't rest on our rules. We shouldn't pat ourselves on the back. And we shouldn't believe we are exceptional or, or institutionally acceptable. The, the idea is, how do we get more journalists in? And people say, why is that important? Because the league is becoming increasingly more black. If you want to talk, if you want to get the best stories talking to black football players, a black journalist or someone who looks like them or someone has a, a similar cultural matrix as them might get a better interview. You're just not doing your job well enough if you don't have those people in. I know there's a lot of conversation about uh, at a certain point, every single employee that says we're just hiring the best person for the job needs to stop and go, why is every the best person for the job tends to look like a certain thing and needs to go about undoing certain hiring practices? We see this in the NFL when they've got the Rooney rule where it's not perfect, but for every single role or coaching role available in the NFL, they have to interview at least one black person. Not give the job to, but interview. Um, the Rooney rule has been touted in the FA. I would like an update on whether or not that process is working because the FA said they were going to do it around about 2018. I haven't really heard a confirmation of that in the years since. And those are the things that we need to see more of from the FA, from the Premier League, from decision makers in football. Thank you, guys. I want to thank you both for joining me. I want to thank you both for being open, for being honest and having this conversation. And thank you very much, those that you've listened to this. The Athletic.